to express yourself where teens talk and the world listens presented by star style productions as an international outreach program of be the star you are charity you'll rock to an hour of adolescent fusion with your teen hosts and on-air reporters meet and chat with cool celebrities exhilarating experts and tenacious teens with subjects regarding anything and everything that you want to know it's time to kick off the fun with our star teens welcome to express yourself Each time a woman stands up for herself, without knowing it possibly, without claiming it, she stands up for all women. Maya Angelou. Hello and welcome to Express Yourself. We're a program by, for, and with creative young people. A platform to give teens a voice right here on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. From Cynthia Bryan, producer of Express Yourself and Star Style Productions, we bring this program to the airwaves, airwaves as an outreach service of the Be The Star You Are charity, a top nonprofit honored by GuideStar and great nonprofits for today's show. Be The Star You Are wants to thank everyone who has volunteered and supported Be The Star You Are over the years. We are thrilled to be serving the world. If you'd like to help us celebrate being a top nonprofit with a donation, please visit www btsya.com. That's www.btsya.com. Every dollar counts and we will use the funds for our outreach programs. Make sure to listen to Express Yourself wherever you listen to radio or music. iTunes, Amazon, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Spotify, and more. We broadcast from the Empowerment Channel on Voice America Radio, the largest radio network in the world. Hi, I'm Hannah Sahoda, the co-host for today's show, along with Ruhani. Hello, everyone. Today's show is all about gender equality and women's empowerment. And in segment two, Hannah will be presenting some facts about gender equality and abortion, and I will present poetry related to this topic. In segment three, Sharanya will also be saying her take on gender inequality, as well as presenting her original work. And right now, we'll be talking to Kirthi about intertwining gender equality and women's empowerment in her writing. Salutations once again, because your personal Express Yourself debate coach is back. Of course, your debate coach is a scrawny 13-year-old girl who manifests a strange infatuation with bonnies, but... Well, just go with it, because I'm smarter than you. And I'm smarter than you because I said so. Welcome once again to my segment, Nerd Extraordinaire, a segment teeming with debate, fiction writing, and humor, because life isn't life without laughter. As you can also tell, Wish Kathy is making an appearance once again, and I hope she's being incredibly annoying. If she is, brilliant. As customary, we'll express our farewells to her. Pip-pip cheerio and toodaloo, Wish Kathy. So, what am I doing here? You're probably wondering what fascinating debate lesson your coach has for you today. Today, we're going to do something different. Now, as some of you might have noticed in the past few months, I always rope in fiction writing when I introduce my segment. Every single time. 
And I'm sure you fiction writers have a grudge against me because I say that every single time, yet I never even dip a toe into fiction writing territory. The fiction writers and I are probably like my best friend's five-year-old twin brothers, just like One's like, I don't want a horse. And then the other's like, yay, I get a horse. And then the other's like, but I want a horse. And then the other's like, I thought you didn't want a horse. And then he's like, well, I want it because you want it. It's like watching two minions fight over a banana. We are enemies. I am claiming to be one of you, but I've got no proof. Today, I'm hoping to ease and hopefully diminish these grudges by giving you a dun-dun-dun writing lesson. Yay! You have no idea how long I've been waiting to talk about writing. Today, I'm going to teach you one thing, how to write a strong female character. Let's talk about a stereotype, which I like to call the I'm not like other girls stereotype. You've probably heard it somewhere. It's a stereotype. It's a meme. It's a quote. Let's name our I'm not like other girls girl L. Okay, because L is an I'm not like other girls name. L claims to be a tomboy. She doesn't wear dresses or heels or anything girly, loads anything pink, and her most defining trait is that she reads books. But L is somehow a tomboy in every attractive feminine aspect. Why isn't she athletic? Why isn't she muscular? Why doesn't she wear baseball caps or anything stereotypical for boys? This is just one of many problems with L. Despite being masculine in some ways, the author always frames it so that just the facts that she doesn't wear makeup and that she reads books makes her suddenly the strongest female in the world. And the problem is, she isn't. That's not what feminism is about. There's no problem with having a tomboy who's strong. But Elle is almost always victimized, and she never stands up for herself and demonstrates anything feminine. It's the victimizing that really gets to me. She always needs someone else to fight for her. She's a damsel in distress, yet she claims to be strong. And also, she looks down on girls who like to be feminine. Girls who like pink are in, are, and are interested in fashion. By doing this, our homegirl, Elle, becomes a misogynistic character rather than a feminist character. Being anti-feminine doesn't make you a feminist. Your character doesn't have to be all kung fu ho and be like a martial arts master either to be strong. All I need to do is show that she is her own person, that she can live her life as a strong woman without depending on someone else. It has to show that women is are just as capable as men, and that can be done while making your character feminine. Of course, your character can show that women uh, can be masculine and strong, but Elle most definitely isn't strong. We need that strongness, that vibrosity, which makes your character a feminist. Wow, Kirti, now you're making up words. Now that we've got that aside, there's another factor to making a strong female character, which is to give her flaws. In order to have a realistic female character, she has to have flaws that make her actually relatable. There are criteria for giving your characters flaws, though. First of all, they have to be valid flaws, and the other characters in the story should recognize these flaws. One example is Jacob from Miss Peregrine's Home for Peculiar Children, who isn't a female character, but he's a very good example of this. Nothing against Miss Peregrine fans, so don't get all offended. Jacob, to say the least, is an arrogant, spoiled brat. He has good intentions, but he can't possibly think of anyone more important than himself. He's a hypocrite, but all of the characters seem to like him and throw themselves at him once they meet him. 
Second, you shouldn't give your character too many flaws. You know what that'll do? That'll make your character unlikable. We'll go back to our non-female character, Jacob, who, once again, is a very good counsel example of a good character. In the first chapter, it's clear that no one in real life would like this dude. He says things like walking is for poor people and tries his hardest to lose his job in a cacophonous way, which he believes he's too rich to have to do. And he does this by causing as much hullabaloo as he can. And also, he uses words like cacophonous and hullabaloo, so you know he's suspicious. You know what happens when you don't give your characters flaws? You die! Wait, what? Who said that? That's not what I meant to say. No, you just turn your character into a Mary Sue. Nah, you don't die. Or do you? Anyway, let's talk about Mary Sues. I think I've made it clear that I think Jacob's a male Mary Sue, but what are Mary Sues in the first place? Oh, sweet. Innocent children, let me tell you the story of Mary Sue. Mary is perfect. She's young. She has no weaknesses. She's beautiful. She's omnipotent. She's omniscient. And the number of her flaws is equal to the number of times I will begin with hello, which is zero. Salutations for life. Mary is so perfect, and she has absolutely no valid flaws. But what's wrong with having a Mary Sue in your story? Yeah, it does make her unrelatable, but being only unrelatable isn't that big of a thing. Take Artemis Fowl for an example. He's a 200-something IQ child genius whose father is a criminal lord. I highly doubt that you can relate to him, but he's an interesting, flawed character. Let's get a counterexample to that. Evan Hansen from the novel adaptation of Dear Evan Hansen. He's just jarringly relatable from his awkward social interactions to the number of times he says sorry, and the number of bad decisions he makes. Both of these characters, while they each have their own imperfections, are interesting to read. I just realized that both of them are male. Ugh, why can't I think of any female examples? I really need to read more books with female main characters. Anyway, what I'm trying to say is that your character doesn't have to be relatable, but it's not bad if they are. So, back to the question. Why are Melisus bad? The problem is that they have so few flaws that it's boring, even annoying, to read. This time, I've got a female example, which is probably the most notorious example of a Sue. Ladies and gentlemen, it's the vampire wannabe herself, Bella Swan from Twilight. Bella definitely has flaws. She is whiny, conceited, self-pitying, and basically really unlikable. Wouldn't you find it interesting that when she moves from Phoenix to Seattle, every single kid at her new school wants to be friends with her, even though she demonstrates no charisma or outgoingness whatsoever? Well, look at that. I'm making up even more words. Nice job, cutie. Enough about me. Let's go back to Bella. If she's clumsy, why does she not slip in any situations where a clumsy person would? This makes those flaws useless. But the weird thing is that some of her Mary Sue traits aren't valid either. It is drilled into our heads that she's smart, but she's really not. This is the author telling and not showing, which even though this is taught in elementary school, many writers still struggle with. It's the same with Sophie Foster from Keeper of the Lost Cities. Now, I know that people are going to be really angry at me, since it's a really liked book and not many people acknowledge how one-dimensional Sophie is. To me, Sophie is worse than Bella. 
He has like five powers when in her fictional world, two powers are considered extremely rare. That on its own would be fine, portraying the journey of how Sophie destroys her inner self with powers she's too immature to have. But it's drilled once again into our skulls that this girl is so smart, just saying how she's accepted in deadly prestigious college at the age of 12, but she makes the worst decisions and the way her mind works is so immature, she doesn't demonstrate any intelligence at all. I could go on and on about how Sophie is also claimed to be a strong character, but despite having 500 powers, she faints slash passes out at the end of each chapter, but I'll spare you the despair of having to know the monstrosity of a character that is Sophie. You see what I'm getting at here. Just by describing these characters, you probably immediately dislike them, so imagine how it would be to actually read them in a book. Now, imagine how it would be for your readers to feel like that horrifying, right? How do you stop this from happening? Well, you can. Most Mary Sue's are offsprings of the author's own personality, and Mary Sue is a reflection of the author, a self-insert, if you will. Obviously, the author would have flaws, because they're a real person, but either they create a better version of themselves, or see themselves as perfect. One tip is to switch the gender of your character. It's easier for you to insert yourself when your character's gender is the same as yours. Another tip is to, instead of seeing your characters as your children or your siblings or yourself, see them as tools to convey the theme you want to communicate with the reader. Don't see them, see them like real people, see them like ants. They're tiny and insignificant, and you can smush a few of them once in a while. Wait, what? Huh? Who said that? Nah, I'm not telling you to kill your characters. Or am I? I hope you enjoyed today's writing lesson, or whatever you interpreted it to be, because this might have been just a very big rant about how much I hate certain literary characters, because m many more are on the way. Wear sunglasses and walk in slow motion, because you know now know how to make your own unique, diverse, and strong female characters. Wow, Kirthi, I agree with everything you said, especially like these archetypes of female characters. There's another one called called Manic Pixie Dream Girl. I don't know if you've heard of that one. That's um, in young adult fiction. And John Green, he is like known for using that like stereotype of woman in his like um, stories meant for teenagers where the woman's only premise, like the character is just to like um, further develop the man's character, which is pretty sad. So since, um, you know, you're a writer, how do you incorporate gender equality into your stories? Okay, so first of all, I definitely have heard of the Manic Pixie Dream Girl, where it's basically that the girl is kind of like the guy's therapist instead of being in an actual relationship with them. And I think that's really, really bad. <laughs> so back to gender equality, I think that you shouldn't follow superficial stereotypes. For example, I've seen that even in the most diverse and inclusive books like Arusha, the antagonist is always male. The only book which this isn't the case is Artemis Fowl, but Artemis Fowl on its own has like a grand total of like two prominent female characters. Three if you count Artemis's butler's sister. Four if you count his mother. There are only two female characters of any significance. Also, you shouldn't do the opposite. We're trying to abolish the rule of men good, women bad. But instead of switching it around and doing men bad, women good, you have to show that both genders are equal. If you do the opposite, then in 2322, there'll be masculinist protests of how men aren't treated the same as women. 
we don't want to make the situation even worse, but we want to show that a human is a human, and we shouldn't discriminate or stereotype people for something insignificant like grace or looks. Yeah, I totally agree with that. Um, recently in like writing and literature, I've seen a lot of comparisons between like the male gaze and the female gaze in writing. And a lot of times, like you can see like in male uh, writers, like Ruhani said, like recently I read Steinbeck's The Grape of Wrath, Grapes of Wrath, and the way he um, talked about women was also to just further plot points and I think you make a really, really good point that we should just show them as equal and we should like have inclusivity, not only in representation, but also in numbers. Like what you said, like only two fem female characters just placed there just for, you know, diversity instead of actually furthering their character. And this uh, concept spans across so many different forms of literature. And since we're talking about like writing, uh, which genre do you personally enjoy writing the most? I'm going to start off by saying that I like to write stories that I would want to read. Even though most of my examples are from fantasy books, I don't really enjoy genre fiction. I like literary fiction. Literary fiction basically consists, character, consists of character-driven stories that don't really fit into any genre. It's kind of like realistic fiction, but not really. I enjoy writing literary fiction and short stories because short stories kind of convey things on their own and literary fiction is kind of theme-based rather than really focusing on the point. And I'm really struggling to say literally. Both of these really depend on themes and themes are my favorite part of writing. I totally agree with that. And thank you so much, Kirthi. Um, that's it for this segment. And Be The Star You Are will be hosting a booth at the September 24th Pear and Wine Festival, and we are seeking sponsors. So please contact us through our website at www.bethestaryouare.org. That's www.bethestaryouare.org. If you would like to sponsor or volunteer, it's going to be really fun. And make sure... We want to hear your thoughts, and we want to answer your questions. So email us at be the star you are teen radio at gmail.com. That's BTSYA teen radio at gmail.com. Check out our radio site at www.expressyourselfteenradio.com and our creative community site at www.btsya.com. You can get involved with the Be the Star You Are charity buy books and t-shirts in our store, sign up for our free newsletter, and make a donation to Be The Star You Are. Are you a teen interested in becoming a radio personality? The positive message outreach program of Be The Star You Are charity trains dedicated young people to be reporters and hosts on Express Yourself Teen Radio. Visit ExpressYourselfTeenRadio.com for information. That's ExpressYourselfTeenRadio.com. Don't forget to tune in to Express Yourself Tuesdays at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on Voice America Kids, where teens talk and the world listens. 
Are you a teenager with lots to say but no one to talk to? Let your creativity explode and your voice be heard on the radio program Express Yourself, a show by teens, for teens, and about teens. No topic is off limits as you connect with teens with attitude. Check out Express Yourself on the Voice America Kids channel. And join our global community where teens talk and the world listens. www.btsya.com. You can express yourself. Be the star you are. Light up the flame that burns. Make a world of difference in a world of differences when you support Be the Star You Are 501c3, a literacy and positive media charity dedicated to empowering women families, and youth. Visit BeTheStarYouAre.org to make a tax-deductible donation today. Everyone counts. Donate today. BeTheStarYouAre.org Be the lucky star you You're listening to Express Yourself on the Voice America Kids channel, where teens talk and the world listens. Express Yourself is produced by Star Style Productions, LLC, as an international outreach program of Be The Star You Are charity. For more information about our show, visit ExpressYourselfTeenRadio.com. Now, back to our star teens. Hello and welcome back to Express Yourself. I'm Ruhani and right now Hannah and I will be talking about gender equality and women's empowerment. Hello everyone, my name is Hannah Sahoda and I'm the host and reporter for the Express Yourself radio show with my segment, Empowerment and Equality. Today we will be discussing the effects of the recent overturning on Roe v. Wade on women's reproductive rights and health and what implications this dangerous horrendous decision has for the future. According to Gutmatcher Institute, in 2020, there was approximately 930,160 abortions nationwide, even more than the 916,460 abortions in 2019. Hundreds of thousands of women are involved in the Roe v. Wade decision, and their health and welfare has been put at risk at the hands of the conservative Supreme Court. And keep in mind, these figures I just presented is not even close to how many abortions were actually had during these years, as the statistics reported by the CDC and Gutmatcher Institute only take legal-induced abortions that are carried out in clinics, hospitals, physicians' offices, and other certified facilities where abortion methods are available. It does not account for the use of abortion pills obtained outside of clinics or dangerous self-abortion method carried out at home or in shady, cheap places. Therefore, it is obvious that millions of women and their privacy is being compromised, along with their bodily autonomy. Oftentimes, many uneducated pro-lifers or opposition to abortion um, claim that oh, just don't have sexual intercourse, or there aren't that many abortions. But this is completely false and an ineffective point because many individuals desire sexual intercourse as a natural function. 
But before I get into the true dangers of not providing abortions, I will first clarify the different types and methods of abortion that were previously available before the Roe v. Wade ruling. Uh, according to the CDC, abortions can be slit into two categories, surgical abortions and medication abortions. Both abortions are used, a reported 56% being surgical and 44% involving medication with abortion pills. Abortion pills are pretty safe to use, being officially approved by the Food and Drug Administration in the 2000s and soon becoming an extremely popular method. In fact, According to Gutmatcher's data from its 2022 recent study, uh, 2020 was the first time that more than half of all abortions in clinical setting settings in the U.S. were medication abortions. The medication used for medication abortions are usually two pills used together, mifepristone and misoprotozole. Mifepristone blocks hormones necessary for pregnancy, and misoprostol empties the uterus and its lining. Both are completely safe until the second trimester, or 10 weeks. According to the UCLA School of Medicine, surgical abortions also occur during the first and second trimester of pregnancy, where the first trimester abortion is handled through a suction process, and the second trimester abortion is handled through dilation and evacuation. Both of these abortion methods, when done in an official licensed clinic, are extremely safe and have saved lives of millions of women. Pro-lifers and the Supreme Court are so dangerous to women, especially POC women, because their ruling has led to thousands of deaths and will most likely result in more. In the United States, pregnancy is already one of the most dangerous health concerns in comparison to other countries. And existing state bans could lead to approximately 75,000 forced, unwilling births for people who can't access abortions. And this ruling will have a significantly larger impact on young, poor people of color and those who are already mothers. According to a study by Amanda Jean Stevenson, an assistant professor of sociology at the University of Colorado Boulder, Boulder a nationwide ban resulted in a 21% increase in pregnancy-related morality across the country. But from her findings, it would be even worse for people of color, with a 33% rise in deaths. She states that people don't realize how dangerous being pregnant and birthing a child really is. It can really kill you from the inside out with several devastating side effects. The many unnecessary and preventable deaths that happen at the hands of the Supreme Court and conservatives is not only sexist, but is also extremely classist and racist. According to a CDC analysis in 2020, black individuals are 3.5 times more likely than white people to die because of pregnancy and childbirth due to not being treated or diagnosed correctly and a severe lack of access to abortion services and contraceptives, which also applies to the indigenous and Latinx communities, making Roe v. Wade a decision that not only affects women, but also increases the maternal morality race racial gap that has existed in the United States for so long. 
uh, POC, especially pregnant women, have long been mistreated, misdiagnosed, and added greater risk of injury in healthcare and the medical field. Many are scared of being misdiagnosed or having their symptoms brushed off. And the restriction of abortions only exemplifies this notion. These communities, often due to poverty, redlining, and systematic racism, do not have the same opportunities nor access to abortion and women's health care in comparison to white people, leading to these marginalized communities suffering the most damage due to no accessibility, along with facing racism and existing discrimination. The policy of overturning Roe v. Wade, I must emphasize, has the purpose of being racist and sexist. The white cis males in the Senate and House do not care about the unborn babies. This is an outlet to further oppress minorities, women, and the poor for their own hysterical, dangerous ideals. Even if they do not prefer to have an abortion, they have no moral right to restrict and harm others for the sake of their own religious ideals. Um, conservative right-wing misogynists are raising more concerns about the separation of religion and government, especially related to policies and privacy. In fact, reproductive uh, equality health professor Rachel Hardman emphasizes this point perfectly by stating, we will have to be thinking about the SCOTUS decision and abortion bans generally as a racist policy because the burden will fall the hardest on black pregnant people. It's going to fall hard on indigenous people and other people of color, people in living in rural areas as well, and people of lower socioeconomic status. Researchers, in fact, estimate that childbirth is approximately 14 times more deadly than having an abortion for only the factor of childbirth. With the other external factors, experts say that it is significantly more fatal to stay pregnant in those conditions. With all of these issues and this environment, a very terrifying factor in abortions have risen. And that's the question of how is the government going to enforce this Roe v. Wade overturn? Roe v. Wade was initially passed because of women's right to privacy by the 14th Amendment in the Constitution, where the 1973 Supreme Court found that women were entitled to bodily autonomy and to deal with their own pregnancies because it entailed the privacy of their own personal lives and the judges believed that it should be respected as such. However, this idea of bodily autonomy due to privacy has been completely shattered, making many women fear how deep the law can extend into their personal lives. I have to tell you, emails, text messages, call logs, smartphone location services, iPhones, period and menstruation calendar apps, and even eyewitness accounts can all be used to determine whether or not a woman is trying to receive an abortion and prosecute her for up to 10 years in jail, which is not only unethical, but unconstitutional on the basis of the 14th Amendment. 
even Google searches can be used as evidence in court. Now, this disgusting, concerning precedent raises the main question, how far can this go? Women are being prevented from receiving proper health care and fearing for their lives. Many are worried that the government, religious fanatics, and conservatives will take this ruling as an excuse to further oppress women by monitor monitoring and invading all aspects of their lives in a patriarchal witch hunt to further perpetuate sexism, racism, and misogyny for their own benefit. By overturning Roe v. Wade, with no exceptions, these individuals do not care if women have been raped, assaulted, or in a bad and dangerous environment. By this logic, anyone can accuse anyone of having gotten an abortion, which is not only legally concerning, but outrageous and unacceptable. America's motto is land of the free, but marginalized communities are suffering more than ever. To those who are able to get pregnant or maybe are old enough to be involved in these issues, I, I implore you to be aware of the ways that this government and police force can try to persecute you and to be very, very careful with what you tell clinics and doctors that will be put on record. Period dates, pregnancies, and recent conversations about reproduction should be kept private and treated very cautiously. Please, you do not know who can try to hurt you with a pro-life justification. It's already been done in multiple states, such as when women try crossing state lines, they check for pregnancy or they check your messages. If you desire an abortion, keep your location off and make sure no one is recording you because there have been many accounts of pro-lifers and uh, violent conservatives intentionally hanging around abortion clinics such as Planned Parenthood to take photos or hack into devices to identify individuals, even in states where abortions are permitted. Abortions are safe, but with the conditions now, it is more important than ever to be cautious and safe when having sexual intercourse. So, on this note, I will list a variety of contraceptives that can be used when having sexual intercourse in order to promote safety, especially for a women's reproductive health in these times. Many of these are accessible and can be found at drugstores, but some you will have to talk to your doctor about. Um, I'll talk about barrier methods, hormonal methods, long-acting reversal contra contraceptives, and sterilization. Um, with barrier methods, there's male condoms, female condoms, contraceptive sponges, which contains spermicide and is inserted into the vagina. Spermicide, which is a substance that can kill sperm cells and comes in many forms. Um, another form is a diaphragm and cervical cap, which is covering the cervix inside the vagina. Some hormonal methods that are more accessible are oral contraceptives, such as birth control pills that contain prohistin, which is a hormone that prevents pregnancy, contraceptive patches, which releases hormones into the bloodstream, vaginal rings, which releases hormones, injectable birth control, implants, which is, for all that you don't know, it's 
not very commonly talked about. It's a single thin rod inserted into the arm that prevents pre pregnancy. And the last two, uh, long-acting reversible contraceptives, such as this is an IUD, an intrauterian device, which is a small T-shaped device inserted into the uterus for safety. And lastly, sterilization, such as tubal litigation, which is sur surgery preventing women from ever getting pregnant, or a vasectomy, which is surgery permanently preventing a man from getting anyone pregnant. In emergency cases or situations, items such as Plan B or ECP, emergency contraceptive pills, can be used. For all my listeners out there, these recent years have been extremely challenging to marginalized communities, women, POC, the LGBTQIA community, and even immigrant communities. From me to you, I cannot stress enough how important it is to stay up to date on these important issues, be cautious and aware, and provide as much help and support as you can. If we stick together, we can fight against systematic oppression and discrimination and take back our equality as a union. But it truly does matter how you speak up, speak out, and express yourself. Every voice counts. And more than ever, we need intelligent young individuals to vote and voice their opinion to achieve liberation and equality for all. Thank you so much for that, Hannah. It was so informative and really needed during this, you know, frightening time. And, you know, as we talk about like history being made, I wanted to talk about this troubling fact um, women only make up 0.5% of recorded history, and that's not entirely surprising considering history is written by the victors, and in this patriarchal society, men have been victors from the beginning of time. And I wrote a poem about it, and it doesn't have a title, but here it goes. Tonight I ruminate my about my predecessors. Long gone, have their sacrifices linger and haunt, Humanity's malice manifested in wasted potential, centuries worth of eager dreams and advanced ideas, suppressed by values that equate womanhood to the crimson tinge behind a child's legs. How many little girls had their dolls snatched for veils? How many mothers had their identities stripped from them? How many were expected to be martyrs for the system that silenced them? How many were told they were diseased for their emotions, lobotomized for any discontent? Feminine blood of resilience, I hope you run through my veins. Nurse me to courage and keep me alive to see every single attack on our souls fade out, like the stars my predecessors must have wished upon. That was beautiful. It's, that's so true. Everything you said, it was... A lot of these expectations are placed on women, which you mentioned in your poem, and I just think you emphasized them beautifully. And on that note, I noticed you you used the term lobotomized, which refers to an incision of the prefrontal lobe of the brain, right? So yeah. how common were lobotomies in women in reaction to their like discontent? 
Unfortunately, extremely common, and it was a way to treat mental illness, um, illness, and it was a surgery that was popularized in the 1940s and 50s, and many psychologists at the time did not understand women's emotions, or at least attempt to, and they thought it was um, their emotions were very different from a man's, and these real medical issues were often labeled as hysteria, which was actually a diagnosable disease all the way up to the 20th century. Yeah, that's that's ridiculous. I, It's apparent that in the medical field there has always been a gender disparity, but I didn't know this fact. It's very sad. And since this was in the 40s and 50s, there has been a lot of progression since then. And I assume um, many, many women figures like who are historical icons. So what I was wondering was when you were writing this poem, uh, are there any specific historical figures you had in mind when you wrote this? Yes, and I was thinking a lot about Rosemary Kennedy, who was the sister of Pro- President John F. Kennedy. And Rosemary was lobotomized for her seizures and her mood swings. And today she might have been diagnosed with like bipolar disorder or epilepsy and treated accordingly. But Rosemary's lobotomy essentially impaired her for the rest of her life. And it's really, really sad. Her mental capacity became that of a two-year-old. two-year-old, And she was institutionalized for the rest of her life. And her family did not visit her until much later. Really sad how she was kind of outcasted for really what her father had pushed upon her. He had wanted that lobotomy so they could fix her quote-unquote hysteria. And really when writing this poem, I thought of all the women in history who didn't receive proper care or support their, you know, support for their ideas. Wow, that's, I, I know there has always been, like what I said in my segment, there is a really, really large disparity in the medical field, especially now with abortions and everything. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just like, I feel like there back then, there was like a lack of empathy towards women, especially like in all fields, but especially in the medical field and how they were treated. And knowing that all of these women who had like ideas and feeling and passion for what they did be lobotomized just for their personality, it's... It's truly heartbreaking, and I like we need to just we need to fight for women's women's rights so that this can never happen again. Right? Yeah. You know, when you were talking about all this information about abortion and how you know our privacy is not protected, I was thinking of that case in Nebraska in which like a 16 year old girl and her mother are being charged right now because. Um, Basically, she had an abortion at 22 or 23 weeks, and the cutoff is 20 weeks in that state. And they received an anonymous tip, you know, from someone, like, pretty much just outing them for their quote-unquote crime. And now, like, they, um, you know, some law enforcement obtained a search warrant, and they went through their um, Facebook messenger, and they found, like, the mother explaining how to take the abortion pill. And it's just like, you know, it's never stopped. Obviously, we've made a lot of advances from Rosemary Kennedy, but it feels like we're kind of regressing in a way. Yeah, I think ever since the 2016 election, misogyny has been extremely prevalent. Like many, especially with young men, I've found that misogyny 
has been making a comeback, which is not is definitely devastating for the women's rights movement, uh, like such as Andrew Pate and all of these new figures popping up mm. who are encouraging like violence or justifying rape and how it do- how women should be forced to have these children like like they're animals. I just think um, more more spotlight needs to be shown on this because I feel like a lot of people don't have women's rights or women's reproductive rights or even health at the forefront of their mind. But it's becoming a really, really large issue. I totally agree with you. And there's so much to dive in um, about this topic, but unfortunately we're out of time. But make sure you stay tuned for our next segment where our reporter and host, Rania, will be talking about women's roles in literature. Are you a teen interested in becoming a radio personality? The Positive Message Outreach Program of Be The Star You Are Charity trains dedicated young people to be reporters and hosts on Express Yourself Teen Radio. Visit ExpressYourselfTeenRadio.com for information. That's ExpressYourselfTeenRadio.com. Don't forget to tune in to Express Yourself Tuesdays at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on Voice America Kids, where teens talk and the world listens. Are you a teenager with lots to say but no one to talk to? Let your creativity explode and your voice be heard on the radio program Express Yourself, a show by teens, for teens, and about teens. No topic is off limits as you connect with teens with attitude. Check out Express Yourself on the Voice America Kids channel and join our global community where teens talk and the world listens. www.btsya.com. You can express yourself be the star you are light up the flame that burns make a world of difference in a world of differences when you support be the star you are 501c3 a literacy and positive media charity dedicated to empowering women families and youth Visit BeTheStarYouAre.org to make a tax-deductible donation today. Everyone counts. Donate today. BeTheStarYouAre.org Be the lucky star you You're listening to Express Yourself on the Voice America Kids channel, where teens talk and the world listens. Express Yourself is produced by Star Style Productions, LLC, as an international outreach program of Be The Star You Are charity. For more information about our show, visit ExpressYourselfTeenRadio.com. Now, back to our star teens. Hello and welcome back to Express Yourself. I'm Ruhani with Hannah and we will be talking to Sharani about gender equality and women's empowerment and how women in history and modern day have been heavily involved in literature and she will also be reading one of her original poems. Hello writers or two we writers. Welcome to The Scribble and I can't wait to jump into today's topic about gender equality and the fight for the rights of women. The recent situations that have been swirling around are things that are so important and affect so many people. 
In the United States, as abortion is banned in multiple states, many women will have their health and future put at stake. Obviously, this is one of the most terrible things that can ever happen to a woman that their decision and their right over their own body is hampered with. So, today I'll be emphasizing women and their importance in literature. Interesting, right? Today, we're going to be talking about women pioneers in literature and how they changed the writing world. Writing started off as a male-dominated arena, as many other subjects started off. With scholars only being men in Mesopotamia, writing was, as I said, male-dominated, and women couldn't venture into it. But the first female writer was Sappho. She was from ancient Greece, 6 BCE. She was so influential that one of the most famous philosophers, Plato, complimented her and said that she was the 10th muse. Sappho's poetry was extremely influential and groundbreaking, and many loved her unique voice to back then literature. Instead of writing lyrical poems based only on gods and goddesses and all-in-all Greek mythology, Sappho brought everyday experience into the mix. A book was written about her called Tenth Muse by Catherine Chung, and I'm heavily looking forward to reading it. Moving on from Sappho, we have Mary Shelley, who in a sense paved science fiction for us. She also introduced Gothic literature into the literary world with her famous book, Frankenstein. Her writing was so influential and strong that she was inducted into the Hall of Fame for her amazing writing. One reason Frankenstein got the claim it deserved was because of its beautifully knitted introspective thoughts on humanity blended with the true core of sci-fi, imagination. Then we're moving on to the Bronte sisters. Who knew an entire family could be that skilled at writing? Charlotte Bronte was the most appreciated writer out of the three, and her novel, Jane Eyre, is one of the greatest classics of all time. The beautiful streaks of a still new genre of gothic fiction, which was something Mary Shelley pioneered, was prominent and jumped out in a positive way at the reader. The next sister, Emily Bronte, only wrote one novel and multiple other poems, but the novel was actually pioneer in, in Emily Bronte's own way. Wuthering Heights. The complex characters were a new concept as the hidden messages were so beautifully layered and unraveled slowly throughout the book. The last but definitely not least sister was Annie Bronte. Her unfortunate demise at the tender age of 29 due to sicknesses didn't allow her to reach to all of her literary abilities, but her famous novel, Agnes Grey, was said to be one of the most perfect novels in literature by George Moore. I definitely want to read this, said to be a perfect book, and I'm looking forward to it. Coming down to our last two writing superstars are Zora Neale Hurston and Agatha Christie. Zora Neale Hurston not only brought up the struggles of women and was a strong writer, but she helped uplift the racial struggles in the United States. She also brought into light the traditions of many African Americans, hoodoo being one of the main ones. Our last superstar is definitely a household name, at least for mystery lovers like me, Agatha Christie. 
Her stories of Hercule Poirot and Miss Marple are the childhood basis for many and most prized possessions for others. Agatha Christie was the pioneer for crime dramas, and her beautiful way of unraveling the story made the reader want more. Each word had its own weight and carried the story. I personally think Agatha Christie is the reason why I love crime-related books and murder mysteries so much. I love reading them so much that now I love watching the same genre of TV shows and movies. As we can see in the literary universe, many women were the pioneers to so many different genres of writing and broke the barriers and fought the odds. To be a writer, you don't have to have any calculations. All you need is passion to write and ideas to write down. Today, I've written a poem, and I'm not going to explain the definition today. I think that we should be able to extract what we want to hear from this poem. The poem is called Unnoticed. Unnoticed, she sits in a classroom, crying to herself, not in sadness, yet angst. Why can all the others compete, but she can't? Unnoticed, she sits down for dinner while dinner is being served. Her younger brother gets to eat first and somehow eats more than her hungry stomach. Unnoticed, she stands in front of a mirror because to everyone, she doesn't fit society standards because she doesn't have blue eyes and is blonde. Unnoticed, she cradles a baby and has her hair unkempt. Her eyes settled on the laptop trying to make a difference, but nothing seems fair. They all have different stories etched into the walls. The air might be suffocating, yet they learn to breathe because every single time they close their eyes, they have an unnoticed dream. So thank you so much for all of that. I absolutely love literature and writing and everything you're saying about the Bronte sisters. They're my favorite literary figures ever. So which author do you look up to? This is like a childhood author, but Beverly Cleary. Um, in the second and third grade, my hands were always glued to a Ramona book. Beverly Cleary was so unlike every other children's chapter book author. There wasn't an unrelatable group of characters who were all smart and did everything perfectly. Yet the tantrums and thoughts of everyone that age were perfectly shown there. I think that is where I actually understood myself as a person. And Beverly Cleary wrote very clearly, but in a very strong and funny manner that I thoroughly enjoyed reading. That's really, really interesting. Um, Beverly clearly was one of my favorites too. I grew up, I grew up reading her books as well, so I can definitely relate. It's very realistic, and I don't know, it's just so well written. I feel, especially for young children. And I noticed you were mentioning female authors and Agatha Christie, so. What would you say is your favorite Agatha Christie book? Ooh, this is really hard to choose. I'm not going to lie. I have so many I could pick from, but you can never go wrong with the absolute classics. So I've got to choose Murder on the Orient Express. There's something so vivacious and ornate of the book and the words and how it's written that keeps calling me to it. I totally agree. I love um, Christie. She is really got me into mystery as well that kind of led to like me reading like Nancy Drew. And who is a modern day female writer that you love reading? Well, of course, Amanda Gorman because of her ornate language and her um, poem during the inauguration. But more than reading, I love hearing her poems because to me, they send a more powerful message 
um, while hearing it because and then after that Nikita Gill because of her short yet sweet poems that convey so many emotions and I love um, Rupi Kaur poems too and the funny thing is that Nikita Gill and Rupi Kaur actually made a difference through the online method rather than the typical write books to become great writers method so I love both of them too those are really, really great female writers. I also love Nikita Gale and Ruby Carr. It's great representation, and I find it really interesting that they didn't go the traditional route of, you know, writing uh, and hardcover books and started online. Um, so, unfortunately, uh, this is all the time we have left. So, everyone, I hope you enjoyed our show today. As always, we express our gratitude to Star Cell Productions. Cynthia Bryan, Be The Star You Are, and our Voice America Empowerment Group, especially our audio engineer, Josh. Thanks to our guests from across the world, and a huge thank you to our listeners making us a top-rated program. For more information about Be The Star You Are charity, visit www.bethestarur.org. Find us on Instagram at expressyourselfradio. Remember, Equality rules. Be proud, stand up for yourself, be empowered, and be educated. Always remember to speak up, speak out, and express yourself. You're listening to Express Yourself on the Voice America Kids channel, where teens talk and the world listens. Express Yourself is produced by Star Style Productions, LLC, as an international outreach program of Be The Star You Are charity. For more information about our show, visit ExpressYourselfTeenRadio.com. Now, back to our star teens.